Well, Jesus has my heart and the whiskey's got my liver Floating through life like a raft on a river I know what's right and I know what's wrong I know how to quit, Lord, it's been too long See day, I was thinking to myself At least I see a thing to myself Rooster Production brings you Under the Water Tower, presented by Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. And now, here are your hosts, Matt Crane and Derek Biglane. Morning, Matt. Morning, Derek. This is Tuesday, Matt, and I think that you're going to go ahead and give us your award for the weekend. Derek, my word for the weekend, actually, let's just do word for the last 72 hours, which uh, in Hernando, probably the biggest uh, word, you know, affects 1,300 students and 1,300 groups of parents. Uh, word is virtual. Hernando virtual. High School. Yes, virtual. Hernando High School is virtual for the next two weeks. That's virtual. V-I-R-T-U-A-L. Mm-hmm. Virtual. As in, uh, my kids will be at the house. Virtual learning. You mentioned it last week. They uh, changed the rules to virtual learning. Two of learning. your three kids. Two of the three kids, exactly. The elementary school kid, uh, six-year-old, will be at going to school uh, as normal. Um, but anyway, uh, virtual learning, Hernando High School. I know that's been the hot topic all around Hernando. Uh, been very interesting, Derek. Really upset for my daughter. She is on the swim team, and they have about a nine-week season. Her first nine weeks consists of uh, s- uh, swimming right. is one of her you know things. And so she's a senior. So I better get that Wi-Fi kicked in and, and get that Xfinity bill paid and covered for sure uh, if we're going to go to uh, virtual learning, whatever that looks like. We'll have an update on Friday of what virtual learning looks like. Uh, Derek, I'll give you more information on that. Well, Derek, speaking of virtual, if you're looking for a home here in DeSoto County and it prob- possibly would like to take virtual tours or anything like that, because I think that might be where we're headed, reach <laughs> now's the time to reach out to our 2021 presenting sponsor, Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. Team Couch of Birch Realty Group possesses over 65 years of combined real estate experience. They have over 25,000 closings since 2009. They are full-time, full-service realtors, which means they are available whenever you need them. They're currently offering a free, no-obligation market analysis. Again, free, no-obligation market analysis. They simply need to know your address. They can tell you the value of your home. They can tell you what's going on in your neighborhood. They can tell you what's going on within a mile radius. Now's the perfect time to reach out to Brian and Terry at Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. You can call them at 662-449-1700. That's 662-449-1700. Or find them at teamcouch.com. That's teamcouch.com for your free, no obligation market analysis. Well, Derek, it was a much easier drive to the uh, How to Barbecue Right Shop studios this morning, for sure. Uh, No high school traffic. Just again, we continue to say that. Did I tell you the high school went virtual? I don't know if I told you that or not. You know, I've heard that rumor. I heard that rumor going <laughs> High around. High school went virtual for sure. How to Barbecue Right Shop located right here in Hernando off Memphis Street. This store has everything a person needs for barbecue, crawfish, and all other kinds of outdoor cooking. Whether it's rubs, sauces, thermometers, cast iron, cutting boards, knives, or really cool high-end smokers, Malcolm's Shop is your place to go. If you've ever seen his How to Barbecue Right YouTube videos, you definitely want to stop by his shop today. You can call him at 662-912-9947. Find him on Facebook at H2Q Malcolm Shop. That's H2Q Malcolm Shop. But the best thing to do is to stop at the How to Barbecue Right Shop located just off Memphis Street here in Hernando. Derek, we've been asked to mention the Water Tower Festival with the Hernando Chamber of Commerce is coming up Saturday, September 25th. It is coming up. And there will be a rib cook-off. There'll be a rib cook-off right here under the Water Tower for the Water Tower Festival. 
hosted by the Hernando Chamber of Commerce. And the reason I mention it now is because Malcolm and Rochelle with How to Barbecue Right Shop will be assisting the city in putting this on, something that's very special to them. Again, a rib cook-off. There'll be guaranteed cash prizes in these three different categories, rib cook-off, wings, and ribeye steak. Please visit the Hernando Chamber of Commerce website. Look on their Facebook page, Hernando Main Street Chamber of Commerce. Malcolm and Rochelle are going to be helping putting this on Saturday, September 25th. We'll start talking about it quite a bit uh, up until the time it happens, but they definitely wanted us to mention this for them. It's $150 per team, and there actually will be a kid's cook as well, Derek, ages 8 through 14. That's 8 through 14 for a kid's cook. We're going to have much more information over the next 45 days before we get to the rib cook-off, but I definitely want to mention it for Malcolm Rochelle, who will be helping the city put this on. So thank you to them for that. And don't forget, How to Barbecue Right Shop, located right here under the water tower. As you can tell from our artwork and as you can tell from the the, uh, the title of our, our show, we will be having Mayor Chip Johnson on with us here in just about the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, so if you tuned in to listen to Chip Johnson and his interview, that'll be coming up at the end of the show. But we are going to talk about a few things before we get there, Derek. Uh, I mentioned my word from the weekend, which is virtual. Derek, what is your word from the weekend? My word from the weekend, Matt, is bittersweet. That is because uh, Saturday night I uh, did attend my son's last uh, jamboree, last football jamboree. This is, you know, the kind of the last practice game he has before the season starts this week. Very happy for him being able to play, getting out there. You know, they, they did well uh, against a, a Holly Springs team. What was so the final? The, the, it was 27 nothing at halftime. And then for the second quote-unquote half, the JVs got 15 plays apiece. Gotcha. I think we scored three times. They scored twice in the JV portion. So high school was 27 nothing after two quarters. Played very well. Again, we're not strong, sure how strong Holly Springs is, but just a good you know taste of of, of getting some uh, playing time. And but also, Matt, it was it was sad because I knew it was gonna be the last time. The last time to see that every game will be you know the last first game. It'll be the last away game, the last home game coming up as the season progresses. Um, and it's just very very sad. But uh, just very proud of him for being out there being very happy that they're able to play again so far this year and really looking forward to a season but knowing by November uh, there will be tears you know both of, of joy and sadness so well Derek I'm going to steal a little bit from you right there let's hold on for a second if I'm going to do a, a word for the last 72 hours give or take let's talk about something else that's bittersweet for you you now have a second uh, driver in the house, oh, a second yes, teenage yes, driver in the house. I noticed that you do. You have someone that now has her permit. So uh, shout out permit. to Miss Allie Big Lane for having her permit. Just let me know when she's behind the wheel. Well, um, I'll be with her for the ne- well. My wife will be with her for the next year behind right. the wheel. But then after that, I will make sure that August sixteenth, twenty twenty two. Look at because uh, I'm sure that she will be there the day that she's allowed to go one year from now to go and be in line to take that driver's test to get that. You know, real license. That's, uh, I do have two two drivers now, so that's um, again, that's a bittersweet thing. It's very, that's a bittersweet, very, very bittersweet. I mean, I'm happy for her. She's so excited, sure. passed the test. But at the same time, yeah, it's also sad because I'm old. Yeah. So. Well, I noticed was that was that her Mustang in your yard in, in, your, <laughs> no. in your driveway? <laughs> no, well, it might be in her yard for real. But okay, bittersweet. That's your word for the weekend. That's that's yes. awesome. You know, I love your kids. I'm just very happy for Bo. But like you said, I mean, it is tough. Just every every game is just tick tock tick tock. Good luck to it, Bo this season. Good luck to the Trojans for real. We're going to talk all about some football coming up. That's going to be really a part of our Friday shows. So we're definitely looking for that. Look again, if you tuned in to uh, hear about uh, Mayor Chip Johnson or hear from Mayor. 
there, Chip Johnson. We've got about a 40-minute interview coming up at the end of our show. But before we get there, we're going to talk about the Hernando Alderman meeting taking place tonight, our second meeting from the month of August. And, Derek, the first meeting from the month of August was uh, uh, was very interesting. Give us a little bit of highlights about what's coming up tonight from the Hernando Board of Aldermen. Well, as a podcast, we can only hope it is as you know, oh, exciting sure. I mean, as yeah, the one from, exactly. the first, from the first time this month. Again, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. It is a pretty long agenda. Uh, actually, it has about 10 items longer than last time, which, of course, we know went two and a half hours, so we'll see how this one goes. I uh, want to start with item number 10. Discuss tax levy for advertisement and approval to advertise public hearing and tax levy. Now, this is part of the budget process. They will have to let you know whether or not they're talking about raising your taxes, your property taxes, whether or not they're going to keep them the same. Either way, they have to have a public hearing to say what their, their intentions are. So they're going to discuss that tonight. And again, not approve it, discuss it. Discuss that is it. up for discussion. That's number 10. So we will report on that on Friday. Number 11, it looks like the recovery funds are coming in. The American Recovery Act funds are coming in because there is approval for a new bank account uh, at Bancorp South, uh, which has the city, who, which bid on and received the city's deposits over for the next two years for um, those funds coming in. So I think the number was around $3.6 million. So that's... That should be coming in soon now that they're opening the bank account. Uh, item number 12, reject the only bid received on the Hernando West sewer project and authorize Joe Lauderdale to rebid the project. Uh, the bids came in, Matt, way too far over budget. Okay. So whatever the budget was, they only had one bid. It was way over budget. So somebody kind of, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that because <laughs> to be that far over budget and only getting one, somebody messed up on the estimating uh, of the project. So they're going to put they, that out to bid. Did they do the bids virtually? Because that's not that's not always good. <laughs> not sure how they did okay, the bids. You're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, usually they're sealed. I know for the banks, they're sealed bids I got you, in yes. person. But that's number 12. Number 15 and 16 are related. Tegra Medical is asking for a resolution for a personal property tax exemptions for both the 2019 and 2020 tax years. Is that going to be the owner of Tegra Medical asking for a personal tax exemption? Uh, no, this is personal property tax exemption. Oh, I see. For Pro- oh, for their building. For their building. Oh, gotcha. Yes, the building okay. there. Uh, they're asking for a personal property tax exemption uh, for three years and for four years for 19 and 20. We'll see if the, the alderman uh, decided to grant that, which means if they're exempted, that means they're not paying their property taxes for okay. some reason. We'll hear about that on Friday. Okay. 17, allow the HIFA, Hernando Youth Football Association, to use the Kirkendall Field from August 18th through November 30th. Uh, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. So that'll be for practices and such. So hopefully, I'm assuming that will be allowed. And that uh, you will hear more information about that on the interview from Chip Johnson here shortly. That is correct. He did mention that. He did mention that, and I think that's a, a wonderful thing. They will have to put some improvements, he mentioned, uh, into, the, uh, into that field. Number 18, allow the DeSoto League, a flag football organization, to use Kirkendall Park football field for their games at no charge August 29th, September 5th, and every Sunday in October and November of 2021. So we have a flag football league coming to Hernando this year. Number 19, discussion of accepting Brian Hill's offer to participate financially in the patching of the streets in the St. Ives subdivision. We discussed this last time. We did. He mentioned paying half. Uh, they're going to have more discussion on that, whether or not it's a good time to do it now, right, because there's still trucks going back there, or to wait. And so, you know, maybe he has some kind of stipulation where he wants to do it now. We'll find that out. Uh, we're skipping on down now to number 26, approval to accept a donation of bleachers from the city of South Haven. No, nothing after that. So we'll see where those bleachers are coming from and where they're going to in Hernando. Finally, the last two items on the agenda, 29 and 30, excuse me, the last two main items on the agenda, 29 and 30, there are two planning 
uh, discussion topics, one at each of the industrial parks in Hernando. The Hernando Industrial Park subdivision looking to consolidate lots 9 and 10 into a single lot number 9. And then um, item number 30 is the final plat approval for the Nesbitt Industrial Park subdivision, again, to finalize that plat for that, that industrial park. Most of the stuff that you and I uh, discussed last time on the last Alderman meeting were added right before. So That's right. Uh, don't, don't think that they won't uh, you know, add something else, and, and we can talk more about, of course, uh, what, what we got going on. Thank you to the Board of Aldermen for uh, what you do, uh, for volunteering, uh, your time, your effort, your attention for the uh, city business, and we look forward to covering this on Friday. Again, there was 35 or so uh, things on the agenda. Right. Derek pulled out what he felt was going to be the most important ones. Derek, that takes care of the Hernando Alderman meeting. Let's head up north, and I will say this, so Derek, if you'd allow me to, uh, UTW Podcast is going to start doing maybe this. Covering the Board of Aldermen for the city of Hernando a little bit more and, and in depth, a little bit less in South Haven, but then announcing some of the things in South Haven that may people in Hernando may want to listen to, may want to uh, partake in, a lot of stuff at Silo Square, that type stuff. You know, we'll keep you up to speed there. So we may uh, cover the Board of Aldermen a bit less. We seem to be having more success, you know, under the water tower, the name of our show. We seem to be having more success there. Listeners, advertisers that are reaching out to us. So we're probably going to zone in a little bit more uh, in Hernando. But Derek, what's going on South Haven Alderman meeting real quick uh, tonight? South Haven, really two things we want to touch on. The first, this is something that y'all may or may not be aware of, that every nonprofit, if they get funding from governments, has to go and ask, re-ask for it every year. And so uh, South Haven does have a couple things. The uh, House of Grace yes. and the library will be going to the South Haven Alderman meeting this time to ask to be, you know, whatever their amount, it may be the same amount, they may ask for a little more, a little less. Uh, to be put in the budget for the 2021-2022 year. This is something that takes place at the supervisor meetings. You know, these are two South Haven meetings. They'll be coming to the Hernando meeting. Uh, didn't have one for this meeting, maybe come in the 1st of September, or may have already come in past meetings that we just didn't talk about. But you know, this is something that's very important. So if you're ever part of a nonprofit that does receive city or county funding, you do have to go every year to the Auburn meeting and request that. So, And you know this because you're part of the Hernando Soccer Association Council. and the Arts Council and the library. And the library. So, <laughs> wow, okay. You like going to Alderman meetings. So, I mean, I, you know. I, yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, actually, the, usually the directors are the ones that go, gotcha. and then we're there for support, you know, if there's any questions that need to be answered. Uh, and the other thing, of course, really, the only other thing, Matt, is the mayor's report. Okay. Uh, the mayor usually does a great job breaking down, so we'll be watching to see what he says uh, and go from there. And again, like I just mentioned, we don't feel like we have a lot of response, at least when Derek and I are what Derek and I are told, people responding to us covering the South Haven Alderman meetings. So we're going to pull back from that a little bit, maybe give a little bit more attention to or deep dive into the Hernando Alderman meetings uh, stuff right here again under the water tower. So job in South Haven. We'll update the, the a lot, so much stuff comes out of the uh, the mayor's report in South Haven, so we'll update on, that on Friday. But speaking of coverage all around DeSoto County and more counties, North Mississippi Dumpsters currently serves DeSoto, Marshall, Tate, and Tunica counties. They're a local small business offering 13 and 20 yard roll-off dumpsters for home or commercial use. They offer service seven days a week. And currently, in addition to the dumpster rentals, they are now offering junk removal and new construction cleanup. Junk removal includes deliver, load, and haul away your debris. New construction cleanup is great for residential contractors. They deliver the dumpster, clean up the site, haul off the debris, and do a final interior cleaning of your new home. One-stop shopping for your construction project. Reach out to Joe and his team today at 901-299-0916, or you can find all this information, book a dumpster, book the dumpster to get picked back up, 
all at their website, a very, very good website, DeSotoDumpsters.com. Again, DeSotoDumpsters.com. Derek, I saw three dumpsters uh, just yesterday owned by North Mississippi Dumpsters, the newest and best dumpster company in DeSoto County. Give them a call again, 901-299-0916 or visit DeSotoDumpsters.com. Since 2001, Green King Spray Services has been helping home and business owners enjoy lush, healthy, weed-free outdoor living spaces. They refuse to settle for the status quo, continuously researching and testing the very latest methods, products, and strategies to ensure your lawn looks better than the other guys. With technicians trained and educated, with hours of continuing education and seminars each year, Green King is committed to doing everything they can to make and keep you satisfied. You can reach them at 662-892-8419, again, 662-892-8419, or visit them on their website at greenkingspray.com. Remember, if you want it green, call the king. Podcast brought to you by Williams Services. Williams Services is a veteran-owned and operated business with years of experience in lawn care, landscaping, mulching, and more. Owner Richard Williams and his team can assist you with a multitude of outdoor home needs. Whether it's leaf removal, tree trimming, fall cleanups, now's the time to reach out to Richard and his team. That's residential or commercial. Richard and his team can help you with anything on the outside of your property. You can call him at 662-292-8855 or find Richard on Facebook at Williams Lawn Services. That's Williams Lawn Services on Facebook. DeSoto Family Dental Care has been a presence under the water tower with over 60 years of combined dental experience. Dr. Seymour, Dr. Paroli, and Dr. Trotter are committed to providing a gentle and caring approach while focusing on the aesthetic beauty and long-lasting health of your smile. The practice is open Monday through Friday, providing hygiene appointments and general dentistry, including implants and implant-supported dentures, as well as Invisalign. DFDC makes use of modern technology, such as digital scanning, intraoral cameras, digital x-rays, and autoclave sterilization. An in-house lab allows your dentist to be fully involved in the lab process and the end result. The office is designed to provide a safe and relaxing atmosphere for their patients. You can be confident that the goal of each staff member is to create a comfortable environment to provide you with relaxing, personalized dental care. Visit their office today to see the difference and give them a call at 662-429-5239. If you tuned in to the UTW podcast or this episode of the UTW podcast for our interview with Chip Johnson, that will be coming up. But Derek, since our last show, the federal government has released the census numbers. Going to be the census numbers. We've been waiting on them. Chip talks about a little bit that the population affects some of the different funding that comes uh, to different municipalities. So Derek, give us an update real quick. First in Hernando. Both in Hernando, and then we'll talk about DeSoto County. What you got? This is as of April 1st of 2020. That's when the census cuts off. So April 1st of 2020, Hernando remains the smallest of the four county cities. However, saw the largest percentage growth for the four cities in DeSoto County. Hernando, South Haven, Olive Branch, Horn Lake. That is correct. Those are the four. Main Those four. are the four, gotcha. the main ones. At 16.8%, our population as of April 1 of 2020, which will be referenced over the next few years, 17,138. I'm going to be honest, Matt, a little surprised. I thought yeah. we would be over 18,000. Right. I also thought to myself, the number of people that call her home base from a, a shopping standpoint, where to go for dinner, all that kind of stuff. Think about how many people have moved just – whether it be inches outside of, the, uh, of Hernando that's true. That's true. or miles outside. I mean, Lewisburg has just exploded that area. And so many of those kids, uh, you know, their parents and kids go to church in Hernando, that's shop right. in Hernando, uh, eat in Hernando, all that kind of stuff. I mean, so the traffic on the, the commerce definitely yes. looks like more than 
17,000. Right. So I'm thinking 19 to 20,000 that, that call Hernando their home base. Yeah. And again, this was uh, over, it was what, 16 months ago? Correct. So, I mean, how many have moved in here over the last 16 months also? Because this is, this is the cutoff date for that. Uh, so, that, again, Hernando at 17,138. The county as a whole, 185,314. Again, I thought we would be a little closer to 200,000. 185,314. Uh, it is now the, the third largest county in Mississippi behind Hines County and Harrison County. Uh, so we're the third largest county now at 185,314. All right, so based on, we know what Hernando's is. South Haven's population as of April 1st, 2020 is 54,648. That's a 13.9% increase. Olive Branches is 39,711, which is a 6,300-person increase from the 2010 population of 33,484. And then finally, Lake only had about a 700-person increase. Uh, this is a 4.6% increase from tw- just over 26,000 to the official number as of April 1st of 2020, 26,736. You and I have lived in DeSoto County now for about 20 years, give or take. I'm surprised it's that small, but I'm, all, I'm not surprised Horn Lake had the smallest growth of right. the, big, the main four. People, more people want to be closer to you know, the things happening in South Haven. Uh, some people want to move to Olive Branch, moving right. south to Hernando. Uh, and there's a lot of things that go into that, um, you know, school systems, uh, sure. you know, commutes to work, stuff like that. So, Horn Lake, yeah, didn't have much of a growth compared to the rest of DeSoto. I mean, 4%, I mean, anywhere else in the state, you're saying, we grew 4%, you're right. excited. Remember, yeah. the state as a whole actually fell negative 0.2%. Correct, yes. Um, so 4% plastic for DeSoto County, it is by far the, the smallest increase. Pretty interesting. You know, right here under the water tower, the census numbers, as Mayor uh, Chip Johnson will mention during his interview coming up shortly, uh, that affects the budget, that affects th- different things with the municipality. So uh, continued growth. DeSoto County is booming, uh, definitely muscle white, and all the people in South Haven, uh, what they do and the growth right there at Silo Square and all the uh, Get Well Corridor uh, has just really been tremendous, Derek, to sit there and watch it every year. But, uh, you know, the growth is coming. We've talked about it. I think that's been very important. Uh, The uh, Board of Aldermen, the newly elected Board of Aldermen, uh, talked a lot about growth and growing smart and growing wise uh, as it continues to knock on our door here in Hernando. So look forward to covering that for years to come for sure. Derek, speaking of years to come, Chip Johnson did sit down with us just last week, answered some questions that were emailed to us. Again, underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com is how you can correspond with us via email. You can certainly reach out to us if you know us personally. Uh, let us know about different things when it comes to the show. But underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com, we got about 10 questions to ask the mayor. He was nice enough to come in, visit with us last Thursday. Uh, so a really good interview, about 40 minutes. We're going to jump in with some ads halfway through. We really appreciate Mr. Mayor coming in, giving of his time. Uh, so he could, uh, you know, just hear his voice when it comes to different information about the city budgets and stuff like that. So we look forward to that. So again, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor. And uh, we will go to his interview now. Glad to sit down this morning for the first time as new mayor, I guess. Mayor Chip Johnson is joining us on the uh, Under the Water Tower podcast, and we're excited for that. Chip, good to see you. It's great to be here again. You were with us last time pre-election on our interviews for the mayoral candidates, and we certainly appreciate that. I told you off air, it it is uh, our most listened to episode we've ever had. So multiple people listened to it probably multiple times. I had a gentleman say something to me the other day that he had actually listened to it three times. So um, we appreciate that, and we appreciate Tom Ferguson sitting down with us as well well of course so first 45 days back in the office of mayor of the city of Fernando how has it been it's been busy yeah and I I think I want to start out by just thanking the citizens for giving me another shot at doing this job I love doing it Uh, there's a lot to it of course and I'm I'm getting back in the swing of things the first 45 days and, and I know it's a worn out cliche but it's like drinking from a fire hose and there's just a lot coming at us 
Uh, and there's a lot of changes too. First of all, we have five brand new board members. We kind of count Natalie as a new one, but right. you know, she's, she, she had a five month jump on the others. So we're, we're learning to work together. There's a lot of excitement on the board, which is incredible. I'm really happy to see that. There was a lot of interaction. I would venture to say that during this campaign with all the candidates, there was probably more citizen interaction than any time I've ever seen in the history of Hernando. So I think we know what the citizens want. And so we're doing our best to work together to get that done. The budget is the overriding thing. Of course, when we started the term, we went the first two weeks without a city clerk. Uh, we have a great city clerk in place now, Pam Powell. She was the second in charge at South Haven. She lives in Hernando. This was a perfect fit for her. But of course, she's learning as well. We all went to our training down at the coast, learned what the new laws were. We all sat through the classes. I sat through some of the easier classes. They're ones that are supposed to be beginner classes because I've been out for four sure. years. I needed to relearn that stuff. And it helped. I sat right there with the aldermen in those classes. We were sitting there next to each other. And I had to keep taking notes because they'd look at me and say, what about this? What are we doing about this? So it was a good way for us to get together and learn stuff together and answer questions together and kind of get everybody ready for the new term. So we're into that and I'm already having to deal with everything the citizens want done, sure. <laughs> you know, and that happens every time there's a term change. People that have been told no by someone uh, will come to me and hope for a different answer. And sometimes the answer is different. And sometimes it's, well, this is still not a legal thing the citizens can do or the city can do for you. So there's a lot of that going on, but we're having to slow down just for a minute. I think the entire board recognizes it. We have got to get our budget done. The budget process usually starts in May. Of course, we're just now getting it started. And that's normal for, you know, in a transition, there's no sense in the prior administration doing a budget, knowing they're leaving. So you're always scrambling. It has to be completed by September 15th. So just so everyone knows, I want to make sure the citizens know, because we're going to be very transparent in this one. Right. There's going to be almost a workshop style of budgeting going on with the new board. They will have lots of questions about individual line items. So I'm going to try to hand them a draft budget Tuesday night at the board meeting. We won't discuss the budget at that board meeting. However, we'll talk about some dates that we can get together for public workshop style meetings where we literally just talk about the budget. I'll say, okay, here's page one. What questions do you have? The city clerk will look up the history of those line items and say, here's what we spent out of it last year. We'll debate some of those line items. You know, some of them you can't debate. The light bill is what it is. You know, the insurance cost is what it is. But generally, once we get our feet under, under us and figure out the budget, next year will be a lot quicker and easier. Most of the time, the things you haggle over during a budget are employee pay raises or numbers of employees and capital improvements, things of that nature. Most of the stuff just is what it is. So, but this year will be a bigger budget year. And I want the citizens to watch us work together and do that. So we'll be setting those dates for the two weeks, two or three weeks between this board meeting and the one in September with the hope that on September 7th, we could adopt the budget. This is the first time that you would have campaigned in the world of social media. It, not the first time, but this is probably different than you know your former campaigns. That's right. What, you, what was that like? Like you said, uh, it seems like the citizens are more involved than ever before. How has that been? How what was that like on the campaign trail? You know, social media does change everything. And as far as the campaign goes, I certainly could not have done that portion of it or any of it, quite frankly, without Christy helping me. And she was very good at setting up the business site. I had no idea there was so much that goes into legally setting up a business site and all the hoops you have to jump through. Right. And then people expect you to be present on social media. You have to be out there doing two or three things every day when you're campaigning. It was totally different. There was a learning curve. 
Uh, I figured out very quickly that you don't start an argument on Facebook because it just spirals out of control. (laughs) What I like to do when I see people that really want to tag me or something and haven't called me, I will generally ask them to call me. I just think that we all communicate better face to face. We meet or we talk on the phone and that works a lot better. But however, social media does bring a lot of concerns to the surface. You can see what the people's, what they want out of us, what their priorities are to say. It's the most social media you've ever had to deal with from a campaign standpoint. So I know it's definitely changed since you ran last four years ago. Derek, we had questions emailed to us at underthewatertowerinfo at gmail.com. We'll continue to plug that. We did. But the first one I'm going to start with is in regards to the budget. I said, what are a couple of the new items that you would like to see put in the budget for 2021-2022? So I think we're going to go back to what the people would like to see. I think we all know that the people are ready to build an animal shelter of some sort. Every alderman heard about that, and I feel certain that as soon as the budget is finished, we'll start working on that, looking at plans, getting them bid, seeing where the money is. But we will have to budget for that in this current budget. My thought would be, and what I'm going to present to the board, and they may have a different opinion, is we probably cannot afford just a lump sum. You know, we can't buy an animal shelter this year. However, we could probably budget for paying payments on one. So that's what we'll probably put in the budget is figure out what the amortization would be on that and do that one. Another one that is something we've never done in the past and something that started during the last administration but has not quite been done is they had Civil Link study our streets and gave us a huge book that shows how we should maintain the streets. We've always just put a dollar amount in there for overlaying streets. Well, we don't have to put as much of a dollar amount for overlaying streets if we maintain them along the way. And quite frankly, we've never maintained streets. It's just not been what we did. There are things you can do to seal cracks. There are things you can do to do potholes better. You can actually resurface it like you would resurface an asphalt driveway. Those aren't new streets, but they prolong the life of the street by years and years and years. And if we can do that, we do less overlays. So we probably need to be looking at that book again that laid out that plan and not just spending a million dollars on overlays, but maybe spending half a million dollars on street maintenance and half a million dollars on overlays and really following that plan. And I've had a couple of the aldermen bring that to my attention that they want to see that done. And it's tough with the citizens. Uh, If you come out and start patching the cracks in their street and you've got those little dark lines down through there, it may not look as pretty, but it's saving your street and making it last four years longer than it would have lasted. It's what's supposed to be done. So we're going to have to communicate well with the citizens on that, that we're using your tax dollars the best way we can. And we will pave your street when it needs it, but every street doesn't need repaving. So we can save a lot of money by actually doing street maintenance. And I think those two things are going to be really big. I also know we're going to be looking at adding some number of new patrolmen to the police department. We know we need a lot more than we have. I think everyone agrees on that, but you can't add them all at once. So we'll have to figure how many we can add this year, how many we could add next year and get up to where we need to be and start with a plan on that. And that's a statistical thing that's come out over the last couple of years that Hernando as a police force is understaffed for patrolmen. We reported that on the UTW podcast Mm -hmm. sometime this year. I mean, that's a scientific fact from data that has been gathered that we're low on the number of patrolmen that should go for a city of our size and our demographics. I'm sorry, our population. That's right. There is a formula out there that all the police departments use, and we all strive for that perfect number per population. And right now we're doing fairly well with our safety numbers and our crime numbers. But I think we all know that if we blink for a minute and drop too low on our staffing, that those crime numbers will go up. 
So policing is always a proactive, not a reactive. That's the way we'd like it to be. And the more patrolmen we have out there, the safer we are. Uh, a listener did ask us, how do you prioritize the paving, the asphalt, the ceiling for the city streets going forward? How do you prioritize that? So here's what I hope would happen. I hope that that book the engineers laid out prioritizes it for us. What has happened in the past and what may happen again, it's just human nature. There's always a little bit of politics in paving streets. If the book and the engineers say most of the work needs to be done in Ward 1, it's going to be hard for the other five ward aldermen to say, well, why is my street not getting any? So there'll probably be a little bit of political play in there. But from the talks I've had with some of the board members, I think they understand that we need to listen to the engineers' advice and professional advice and do what they say on that. So we may have to redo the plan because it was done a couple of years ago, not do the whole plan, but just update it a little and see what we did that was in the plan and move forward that way. And I've learned a whole lot about patching potholes. So, you know, if you just throw that cold mix in there, the reason potholes form is there's a crack and water gets under the crack and it either freezes and expands like ice and blows it out, or just the water itself will come back to the surface and push the asphalt up. So this new patching machine that we got in about a week ago, and I think tomorrow the trainers are coming to train our guys how to use it. But that one actually seals the corners of the patch so water does not get back in it and makes it a permanent patch. So if it's done properly, from now on when we patch these places, they should be almost as good as the road there. Listen, I had actually had two questions. Uh, the first of his question was, is what is actively being done to attract new business to Hernando now? I think a lot of people don't know, but we have an economic and community development director named Gia Matheny. Uh, she's been with us 10 to 12 years, and she works very hard every day. And she is on the phone with people doing the behind the scenes work. And that's been going on and it's been working very well. The piece I think we're going to add is that whenever I'm in front of anybody, I'm promoting Hernando. And I do it very often. I think that's my job is to get in front of all the people I can. You'll see me rejoining with the Mid-South Mayor's Council, which will put me in front of developers and people that are in Memphis, the people who have the money and wherewithal to build a business here. And it's just the small things. I was invited to give a small introduction when they did the groundbreaking at the Fieldhouse. And about a month later, the owner of the Fieldhouse called and said, hey, when you were given that speech, you talked about this intersection being so important because it's 20 minutes from Collierville and 20 minutes from downtown Memphis. And this guy was just there because he was my friend. But when he heard that, he decided he's probably not going to put his business in Germantown. He's going to put it here. So I can't say what that business is, but those things may seem small, but the more we cheerlead for our city and invite businesses to come, the better off we're going to be. And there's, there's a reason this is happening now. It's because we planned for it 15 years ago. People look at the map of the Hernando City limits and say, well, it kind of looks like a cross because it goes out and it literally just shoots across to the east and west along I-69 and I-269. The reason for that is we grabbed the two-lane exit, which we think will develop one day. We grabbed what we knew was going to become the Mackingville exit because we were working on that, and we grabbed the Gitwell Road exit. And we did that because we know that to keep our property taxes as low as they are, we have to have buildings that pay high property taxes and generate jobs and generate sales taxes. And that helps the whole model. And we were just about out of room in the downtown city limits for those kind of things. So there's some things that we need that we want to shop at or want an amenity, but you can't stick them downtown. Right. So we needed that area to generate those things and we planned for it. And now I think that time is here. 
talk about the importance, as you just said, of the Mackinville exit. Why did y'all, why did you pinpoint that as seeing that both from the economics viewpoint and from a transportation viewpoint? Okay, obviously from a transportation viewpoint, we were bottlenecked on this south end of town at the Commerce exit. That Commerce exit was designed when the city was probably less than 2,000 in population, and it's been there ever since. Coldwater has gotten a new bridge over their exit, and we still don't have one. So every day I'm asking, when can we get one? Why do we not have one? How can we find funding? And we know that Senator Wicker has been very involved in the new infrastructure Mm -hmm. bill, passed the Senate yesterday. We don't know what will happen in the House, but something's going to happen. So everybody that I'm talking to about that money, all I keep saying is Commerce Street exit, Commerce Street exit over and over because that is the most critical need we have for transportation in Hernando. And since we knew that was a problem, adding that other exit is already relieving some of the traffic. So we're hoping we can see new traffic studies six months from now that show that the traffic has decreased some at the Commerce exit and moved to the Mackinville exit. Because nobody wants to get in that traffic. If you don't have to, you're going to find another way to go. So I think it's going to be used a lot for that. That'll help the traffic. And obviously, from an economic standpoint, we, we talked about that a minute ago. But there's not many houses right there by that exit. There may be six or seven up and down Mackinville and along Green Tea. And if you're going to do those kind of things, obviously, you don't want them right next door to a neighborhood. Most of the time, it just doesn't work. So having that bare land and those new exits are going to generate literally millions of dollars in tax revenue for the city that we can spend on things that we want and need. And just for an example, between the property tax and the sales tax on Walmart, that is close to $1.5 million a year into the city coffers. Wow. That one store. That's a lot of money when your whole budget's $21 million. Right. That's a whole lot of money. So we have to keep those things in mind. If you like Walmart or don't like Walmart, we generally all shop and buy something there. But those taxes are doing great things for our city. 15, 20 years from now, do you see that being the most important exit economically for the city or the Getwell Road exit, which I guess a lot of people forget about? Uh, We know we don't have the utilities run out there yet, but those are four pristine corners. As you mentioned, there are probably maybe one or two houses, not even that, around that intersection, around that corner. So what do you think 15, 20 years from now will be the most commercial viable intersection between those two? I think in the long run, it will probably be Getwell Road. The sewer is not there yet, but running the sewer there is probably a million dollars or less. And I can see that some big business could come out there and do it themselves. Somebody who really wanted to be there they would just run the sewer to the building themselves. It just works that way when you have a big business. We put the sewer at the Mackinville exit years ago, planning for that. That's why this one's probably going to develop first because the sewer is already there. If you think about Getwell Road, the county is about to five lane it down to Pleasant Hill, right in that area. They've already asked me to start thinking about what the city could do to work with them to get it all the way to the actual exit. And Getwell Road, and you correct me if you can think of something different, but I've looked at all the maps. It's really the only non-highway that runs the entire length of DeSoto County from north to south. So it is a major road. It's always had the potential to be the major road all the way through our entire county from north to south. And I think we're starting to see that happen. We interrupt our interview with Mayor Chip Johnson to remind you about the Hernando Farmer's Market. The Hernando Farmer's Market brings together the best of local food, 
artistry, and the agricultural traditions of the Mid-South. It's a place to shop, it's a place to gather, but more importantly, it's a rare chance to experience the simplicity of a Mississippi small town. It is truly a fresh, local experience. You can contact Gia Matheny, the Community Development Director, for more information about the Hernando Farmers Market at 662-449-9092. That's 662-449-9092. The Hernando Farmers Market takes place every Saturday, May 1st through October, from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. every Saturday on the historic Hernando Square. Some of the vendors include Kendall Cattle Beef, Richardson Farms, Coffee Central Squared, Honey Bee Natural, and Mama's Kitchen Cakes and Bakes. Over 70 vendors every Saturday morning from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Hernando Farmer's Market. North Point Christian School is excited to kick off the 2021-2022 school year with the highest enrollment it has seen in over five years. With more than 1,000 students, the school is excited about the year ahead. North Point is the oldest Christ-centered college preparatory school in DeSoto County. Located in South Haven, they serve students PK through 12th grade. If you have any questions or would like a tour, please contact Mrs. Sheila Sharon, Director of Events at 662-349-5127. Again, 662-349-5127. With school back in session, as I've said for the last two weeks, even with school back, now is the time you want to start planning for next summer. You want to start looking into different things, cruises, Universal Studios, Disney World. You definitely want to reach out to magical destinations of Hernando. Whether it's that trip to Disney World, a tropical getaway, a weekend on the Gulf Coast, anything you're looking for in the U.S., you want to reach out to Sue Ellen and Christopher. You can give them a call today at 662-469-6304. They work to get you the best rates with headache-free planning. Magical Destinations is locally owned and operated right here in Hernando. Again, their number is 662-469-6304. You can find more information about Sue Ellen and Ann Christopher at Magical Destinations Unlimited on Facebook and Instagram. That's Magical Destinations Unlimited on Facebook and Instagram. Lauderdale Insurance Agency, your local state farm provider, is located at 11 West Commerce Street, directly across from the Hernando Post Office. Lauderdale Insurance is owned and operated by Sam Lauderdale, former alderman and local resident of Hernando. His team specializes in insurance for life, home, business, and auto. Mr. Sam encourages you to compare coverage, service, and price, but feels confident Lauderdale Insurance Agency should be your insurance provider. Please call Sam, Sherry, Angie, or Jennifer at 662-429-5213. Again, 662-429-5213. Or find them on Facebook at Lauderdale Insurance Agency. Well, Derek, there's something on the Mackinville exit, and certainly not something we're mentioning right now. There's a potential partnership with the city and DeSoto County Schools over the next five years. That'll be a big part of that Mackinville exit. There's potentially some neat things that are going to be happening on the north side of Mackinville uh, that affect the uh, traffic there. You know, MDOT, you talk about, and Derek and I have said it numerous times over the last year, uh, you guys don't control the lights when it comes to right there at the intersection. The city has no control of that. So you guys have to work closely with MDOT for some win-win situations. That's the best you can do. And we're hoping to have the MDOT, the director of MDOT, uh, with us in the next 60 days. But um, real quick, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys do not choose the lights and the traffic and the things that y'all might have to deal with when people uh, you know, blow you up on Facebook or whatever about traffic. That's controlled by MDOT, correct? 
That is controlled by MDOT, but I will tell you this, uh, we're very fortunate to have the commissioner live in our county and in Nesbitt, just outside the Hernando city limits. I think that his relationship with Supervisor Lee Caldwell benefits all of us because he understands from being a previous supervisor and his wife being a supervisor, they know more the local needs and, and they know to get our input. So after I was elected, I met with John Caldwell and he put me in his truck and we drove all around Hernando and looked at all the different traffic issues we had that MDOT might could affect. He asked my opinion on certain intersections. He asked me if I thought a traffic light might be more productive at one or a roundabout. He is very receptive to listening to local officials, and I think our partnership is going to work very well. But in the end, MDOT does have the say on Highway 51 and on the interstates. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Again, Mackinville helps with the traffic. The, that's the northern entrance of Hernando now, so you can get off six, get off 55 on the 69, use that side. So I think it's going to be really good for commerce, and looking forward to the next five, ten years of that intersection. Gonna be and you mentioned a, a potential thing with the schools and – I don't know if people have really noticed, but the Mackinville exit across the bridge and all around it to the edges of their right-of-way have sidewalks. And we had asked MDOT to do that when they started that project. And I think that will just help the pedestrian flow and any children that might be walking to things around there in the, in the, in the future. Another question uh, that was asked is, you know, from the Alderman meeting last week, which uh, was also a very uh, highly listened to show of ours. It was. Um, what can be done on the state of youth sports in the city? And what can Hernando do to try to stand out, not necessarily try to match, but stand out over, you know, what South Haven obviously has and then what Cenotopia has done to the south of us? That is a great question. I will say we're, we're just about to start our uh, fall baseball season and we have around 550 kids signed up for that, which is a big number for us. And I think we have 120 T-ball kids signed up. So I think right now what we do is we really, really focus on these two seasons that are going on, the T-ball and the fall baseball, do the very best we can. The prior administration had borrowed some money and they're just finishing some upgrades to the actual field surfaces themselves. So we're going to have a little better field playing surface. But in the long run, I think we, we, we just did a survey of the parents and coaches from the spring season. And I think we had about 170 responses, which is a pretty good sample. And out of those responses, the biggest complaints we got were the condition of the fields, just the, the whole atmosphere of the fields down there. And I don't know that we can do a whole lot about that. We can fix the playing surfaces. There's a little gray area there. We can spend some money there, but we don't own the fields. We have to remind people we don't own them. And I really think that for us to progress like we need to, and we're talking baseball right now, baseball, softball, and t-ball, we're going to have to own the fields, whether it's those fields or fields somewhere else. We're going to have to own them so we can do what the citizens want done. We just can't do the capital improvements at the Hernando Civic Center. We're not legally allowed to do those things because we don't own them. So I do think that after the budget's over and we can breathe again, we need to talk to the three civic organizations that own the fields, see if they're willing to do a deal to give us ownership of them. If not, we might look at some other land. I know the board is ready to really do something around baseball, softball, and t-ball. They're ready to do it. They're talking about it, almost whatever it takes. And the same with our other facilities. You know, we've got soccer fields that are getting a little better every year, but we don't have a good parking lot for those. Right. We know that needs to be done. We need to light the fields. On our agenda for Tuesday night, Hernando Youth Football Association, we're going to allow them to practice on the Kirkendall Park football field five days a week at night. 
The field's not really suitable for it anymore. It needs about $100,000 worth of work that we don't have. So we're going to have to do something major to upgrade all of our facilities so we can do what, what the citizens want for the kids. Do you see that's that plan or the ability to fund that plan? Do you see a, I guess, maybe a strategy or something to be put out in the next year or so to try to get toward that? So I've heard y'all talk about your goals for Hernando. I remember hearing that. And it could be that the only way to get it would be something like a pennies for the park, where you spend an extra penny or two every time you go buy a hamburger. Nobody really notices it. Doesn't seem to bother many people. Some people are bothered by it. But I think the majority of the citizens, if they know exactly what we're going to spend that money on, which by law, that's the way you have to do those things. Right. You have to put the plan out there. The board has to approve it, say this is what we're going to spend the money on. And at the end of this five years or three years, whatever it is, those things will be built and the tax goes away. Citizens might vote on another one later, but that one has to go away. That's the way the law works. It's not forever. So the citizens will get to vote again if they wanted one. But I don't, I mean, what we're looking at, the needs in the city are close to eight, $10 million for parks, for fields that we need. We don't have that kind of money. We just don't. You know, the two mil tax that we're allowed to put on parks will generate $358,000 this year. That's it. And then the general fund has to give the parks money to make up the rest of their budget. And there's just not enough money to give them. I think in this current budget we're operating under, there was 143000 allocated to parks. So between general fund and that, we were at about 500000 the city was spending on parks. The rest of it comes from fees for kids signing up for ball programs and so forth. So there's just no way you could build the things we need without doing something like that. We know that Matt and I discussed this, I guess it was last fall, November-ish. They finalized a look at our sports and what Hernando should really be focused on. Um, that talked about tennis was really, maybe tennis was one, indoor basketball was another. Looking at what South Haven offered, they did, I thought it did a really good job of maybe where we, you know, we always, you know, of course the, they're the most vocal because there's the most playing, but baseball, t-ball, softball, you're talking about are going to complain, do want nice facilities. I don't, do not disagree with them at all. But with this report said it has, you know, it's like, look, you're not going to have Snowden Grove. There's no way. You That's can do right. That. So, you know, let's, what about a tennis, you know, upgrading the tennis facilities and having it to be a, uh, a premier site in North Mississippi, or maybe be able to partner with South Haven to host larger tennis tournaments. That, that might be one. Another one they mentioned was in like needing a multi-use gym facility type you know maybe i think it was like thirty thousand square feet very similar idea to what the field house is doing now the field house is five times that size but kind of you know indoor where you can run it out for volleyball you can run it out for basketball and all that kind of stuff and so i didn't know if you'd had a chance to look at that yet and if those were another options to kind of look at maybe you know those larger sports are great because again the most people play them but the smaller ones where you could actually as this person asked you know stand out because okay now hernando's got great tennis courts Let's do a t- you know, tournament down uh, over there. Hernando has you know this great multi-use facility. Maybe the new the Memphis Volleyball Association, which is now taking over South Havens. Maybe they're looking to do a little offshoot smaller tournaments down here, or maybe the DeSoto team is looking to do tournaments in Hernando. Has, has there been any thoughts or been able to look at that? I will say the, with the basketball issue, we've been using through a cooperative agreement the uh, school bas- basketball courts for our basketball league. 
because we couldn't afford to build our own gym. And quite frankly, if there are five empty gyms sitting there at night, it seems silly to build another one in our town. Right. Those are our gyms. We own them. We pay the taxes on them. So the school has been gracious enough to let us do that. But there are scheduling issues, and it's, it's not ideal. So I don't know what happened with the talks yesterday, but I do know that the owner of the field house met with our parks director to talk about the possibility of our youth basketball program being able to play at their facility. So I think those are going to be ongoing talks. We certainly can't replicate a facility like that. I'm glad it's being done with private dollars. I think y'all probably talked about it on the show before, but that facility is going to draw people around basketball, much like Snowden draws people around baseball. And, And there's also a baseball component. Ed Easley Baseball is going to be there as well. That is huge. So we're going to see upper level baseball and basketball at that exit, which is already drawing other business owners potential business owners to talk to me about locating their businesses there that are going to be good for the whole city. So yes, when you have things like that, it does draw in people who spend the night, who eat, who drop their tax dollars here. And that's what we need to be looking at long-term. Do sports really pay for themselves at the, at the children's level? Probably not if you look at the revenues to the city. But if you look at the help for the entire town and it's businesses, it does. You know, you'll say, well, all those people spent all that money at the hotels and on hamburgers, and the city got all those taxes. I have to remind people that people have to spend a million dollars for the city to get 12800 So the city doesn't get much off of that. But what the city gets is a strong business community. Right. That's really what we're shooting for. The stronger we get, the better off we are long term. Well, and more businesses wanting to come in because they see the traffic. That's right. And it leads to commercial tax do- or property tax dollars, which is where the main source of income comes from. Those property taxes are huge. And I, I always like to take the chance to remind the citizens that if you're a senior citizen and getting the special homestead exemption, your first $100,000 of assessed value is free. So we have a lot of people who aren't paying a property tax, which is great. That's great for the seniors and people who have that. And most of us have a homestead exemption on our house, a regular homestead exemption. Don't pay full value. But a commercial business not only is bigger, they're taxed at a full 15%. That's a lot of money. So the property tax bills that they pay really help the rest of us a lot for all the things we need done, like paving our streets and fixing our ball fields and things like that. Can you kind of talk briefly about where the search is? You know, unfortunately, we had our planning director pass away in December. Very saddened. I think it was a shock to everybody that it happened. But now, eight months, nine months later, uh, we still don't have a planning director. Where, are, where is the city currently on the search for the planning director? So immediately after the prior director, Keith, passed away, which was very unfortunate. He was a wonderful person. The previous mayor started looking for applicants and they just weren't getting any. I think a lot of us thought that, well, maybe a professional isn't willing to take a job knowing there could be a transition coming in July with a new administration possibly, or even just new board members. So they kind of held off on it. They quit advertising because they just weren't getting any response. And so I thought, well, when we all take office and things feel more solid, we'll do it again. So we started advertising. We even, we ran it with the, uh, the National Planning Association, APPA. Well, we put it on Indeed. We didn't just run an ad in the paper and do it locally. We're trying to go national and we're just not getting any response. And I talked to the city of Horn Lake. They don't have a planning director right now either. And they are having the same results. It just seems like there are no planners out there looking to move. So we're just going to keep advertising. I'll ask the citizens who are listening to the show, if you know a qualified planner that might be looking to make a move, tell them what a great town Hernando is. And it'd be a feather in any planner's cap to work here, I would think. So What's our salary on that, Chip? 
You know, the salary was about 64000 but after talking with the board members, uh, we know we would need to up that salary probably to attract a quality candidate, and we're willing to do that. So it's going to be commensurate with experience. So we're looking for the best planner we can get with the most common sense. That's what we're looking for. And I will say right now, BJ Page has been filling in four hours a day. There are certain things that staff cannot do. You know, we've got to have a certified planner to do some of these things. BJ is retired, but he is an incredible planning mind. He knows the stuff. And what I like about BJ is, even if it's an answer you don't want to hear or might be advantageous to you and not the city or vice versa, he just puts all his information out there so the best decision can be made. So I've been really impressed working with BJ. He'll continue to work for us four hours a day, but we certainly are still looking really hard for a full-time city planner. That department is very short-staffed. At this point, we have BJ four hours a day. We have Kristen full-time and on overtime. And we have a receptionist who takes the permit money. And she will be going to have a baby just any day now. (laughs) So literally, within the next week, it's going to be BJ four hours a day and Kristen doing everything else in the planning department. It's not a good situation. So we are taking applications now for a building official slash building inspector. We're doing that. Uh, We do have an open position for code enforcer that I didn't even realize until I got in office that's just not been filled. We'll probably start advertising that one because we have so much work right now going on. I feel like we need one and a half building inspectors. So maybe that code enforcer position could be building inspector half-time, code enforcer half-time with a full-time building official building inspector. We do have two good resumes laying in our human resources office for building inspector right now. We'll start those interview processes really quickly because we, we have to. We don't have a choice. Real quick question. Planning commissions, they, they take place once a month. It's always the second Tuesday of the month. When will these – you mentioned to me off air that you're going to look to maybe try to put those on the YouTube. What, what's the update on that? So we have been broadcasting the city hall meetings for the last four years. I think they've been well attended. People like it. Uh, they kind of watch in spurts, but it's there if the public wants to see it. And I think that is very crucial for transparency. Gia Matheny, our economic development director, speaking of people that wear 12 hats, she's been the one literally broadcasting it. So, which means she has to be, in addition to all her other duties, she has to be at two board meetings a month. So now we're talking about the possibility of adding the planning commission to the YouTube channel so we can video them as well. So we've had a local man who is, does this on the side who has just been helping Gia. He's very good. He's been doing it for years. So I'm going to ask the Board of Aldermen to hire him part-time, obviously, not, not as an employee, as a contractor, at $100 per meeting just to come handle that. So we don't have to worry about it. So he would do each city board meeting, any called meetings, and we're also going to ask him to do the Planning Commission meetings. So probably within the next couple of months, you'll see us broadcasting the planning commission meetings. That's great. Hey, before we move on uh, to the next question, they mentioned something. You mentioned something about Haifa uh, being part of the meeting, which will be tonight when we air this interview about practicing on the fields. Derek and I have joked for the last five months, four, four or five months, when it comes to that field, the Kirkendall Park, about the uh, lack of shade. Now <laughs> we'll just say that <laughs> a lack of shade now. And someone did the the question that comes in from one of our listeners to our uh, Gmail account simply says, hey, do you, can you shed a little bit more light possibly on the need to cut down what seems like all the trees or definitely about 90% of the trees there at the Kirkendall Park? 
I think my short answer is I don't know. Okay. I know it is part of a very large grant. We got $750,000 that we had to match with 250000 of city funds. And there are ditches from Forked Creek down to Selena Cove and Oak Grove being worked on. Well, that work that happened in Kirkendall Park was one of the ditches that was part of that project. The best I can tell is to get the ditch reshaped properly. They were cutting so many tree roots, they were going to fall and die anyway. That's what I'm hearing because I've had to ask the question. I've had a lot of citizens upset about the loss of trees. As most of the listeners know, I am a tree guy. I think trees are important in many ways. So I just don't know that they could have been saved. But I wasn't part of that, but we're going to do the best we can to to maybe add some trees back where we can. Uh, what I do know is you can certainly see that park now. You know, I live a block from it. Right. So uh, it's very obvious. We're at the end of that part of the project. I know the contractor did damage the rubberized track a little bit. So the parks director met with Vince Malavasi with Neil Schaefer the other day. Thank goodness for Vince. Vince actually lives in Hernando, so I feel like we get a little more attention when he's an engineer on our projects. But we're going to make them fix that the way it's supposed to be. They're, you know, they have insurance or they'll fix it themselves, one or the other. But it just is what it is. The trees are gone, and now we're going to have to deal with it. And we may plant some back. I feel certain we will. I, I personally planted trees in, in parks over the years. Uh, back when Shelly Johnston was with us as the deputy planning director, uh, her first day I said, hey, by the way, you've got to get certified as a master urban forester. And she said, what in the world's going on here? <laughs> but literally she and I planted some trees right along the ditch in Conger Park up near that f- pavilion. So those 25-foot trees she and I planted as the free seedlings wow. all those years ago. So, that you know, that stuff works. Sure. And it course. changes the look of things. So we'll take a look at that. We're probably going to have to think about putting a fence back around the park at some point. Uh, that's probably going to be a big dollar amount. Of course, with our new design guidelines, the way we like Hernando to look, I would think we would probably not put a chain link around it. It would yeah. be a decorative fence, which drives the cost up. You know what? For our ratings, please put a chain link fence up. <laughs> that would be great. Put that chain link fence up. Let us know about it. That'll help with our We'll talk our about ratings. it for several months. Oh, oh, several months we'll be able to talk about give us something to talk about. I think we messed up, Derek. What we should have done is time the tree removal along with the animal shelter because we could have built the animal shelter with the amount of trees that were taken down the the park. Just simply saying, (laughs) we missed out on that one. Uh, another park that, you know, that's, of course, Crookenau Park is kind of a smaller park that people forget about. And if you don't know, it, it is a great, great track. Uh, you know, now early in the mornings, I go there sometimes. Of course, late at night, it can be nice. And, and you also, the city also added new lights that are going out there uh, that energy is providing. So that, that's a great thing for that. And those lights should be out there within the next 30 days. We finalized the order with Entergy, and they're on the way to getting them installed. I think it's like just $400, $430 a month is what's going to cost Something like that. So I think it's a great thing. So, again, really putting some money into the track, around the track. Uh, but, you know, we all would like to see the trees. Another park that people may not be familiar that the city does deal with is the cemetery. Uh, the cemetery is considered a city park. Uh, and so we had a couple questions uh, about the cemetery uh, that I want to kind of pass. I'm, I'm going to kind of say them together, and you can kind of talk or answer it how you want to. The first one of the two is, what are the rules for decorating the grave sites? Uh, this listener, it was a woman. Uh, she was um, worried that anything goes out there, and sometimes it can look really junky or can also go so far over the grave site that it affects grass cutting because they don't want to cut up whatever's been laid out there. And then what can be done to make the cemetery look nicer? To start with, the cemeteries are no longer part of the park system. Oh, there you go. They were separated years ago, and the cemeteries literally have their own fund and bank account. 
So there are revenues that go in there from the sale of graves. They may have to be subsidized occasionally with general fund money. And then all the cemetery things that are spent out of there are in that one fund. And years ago, what we finally came to is there were always different grave diggers out there. And so somebody's tombstone would get damaged and they'd say, well, that grave digger did it. And they'd say the other one did it. We, nobody knew what was going on. It was a free-for-all because the city's not there when they're digging graves. There were lots of messes and nobody was responsible. And the board made a good, what I think is a good decision to hire a man named Quincy. And Quincy is the only person we allow to work in the park. So he charges the same grave digging fee to anybody that gets buried there. So everything's his fault or it's on him for good. And he also does all of the maintenance in the park as well. He's our grass cutter there. So anything that happens there, we know Quincy's handling it. And if there's a problem and somebody comes to me, I say, hey, Quincy, let's fix this. And it's been working really well. It worked through the end of my administration, through Mayor Ferguson's administration. And I think we'll keep Quincy doing it because it just seems to work. I don't know all of the rules about what you can put on graves, but they're posted out there. There's a sign posted that kind of gives you the rules. What I do know is, to your listener's point, some people do put more things on a grave than others. I've had to do a lot of this work around the cemeteries for years. I've actually sold quite a few of those graves on the weekends when our staff weren't available. I literally would go take a citizen out there and sell them a grave. So I understand the emotions around it. And some people just grieve differently and they want to put more stuff on a grave. And we do have to keep that under control. It's very, very touchy, as you can imagine. It's people's emotions with a deceased loved one. So we have to be very careful. Quincy has to use a whole lot of discernment out there when he's clearing off. Is this really a dead flower or is it, you know, is this, how long have these plastic faded flowers been here? Should I throw them away or will they be mad? I mean, literally every grave he comes to has to make a judgment call on what to remove and what to leave there. So if you do have a problem with something at the cemetery, call me and Quincy and I'll go out and look at it. I would just have to say, you know, it's not the way government usually works, but there are a lot of judgment calls that have to be made on that stuff. And we, we do want to make sure the cemeteries are kept to a high level. I've already had a meeting with Quincy. We spent about an hour together one morning uh, just making sure we were on the same page. And of course, like everything else, after the budget's finished, we're going to really do a tour of the cemeteries and talk about things that need to be done a little differently. And we always encourage our listeners, if, if you have an issue with the city about something, before it feels so good to jump on a keyboard and type some stuff out and vent, there are ways and people, including yourself, to reach out, talk to, and see if you can fix a problem before we go jump to social media because it feels good. Or you can hit the stop button right now and grab a pencil because my cell number is 901-371-7743. That's the easiest way to handle a city problem. Well, Chip, we certainly appreciate, again, this is something we hopefully can do about four times a year. Uh, Derek and I uh, have no plans to go anywhere for quite a while, but uh, we'd love for you to be a part of it. We feel like citizens of Hernando are more interested in, in the city than ever before. And, and this gives them a voice, gives you a voice, and uh, you know, the city aldermen, uh, those type people, a voice to hear it straight from y'all. So we definitely appreciate you coming on. Again, if you have questions for the mayor for our next round of interviews, which may be, like I said, the next 75. I'll say around November. Like yeah. The new yeah. budget starts October 1st, so about a month after that go ahead and have him in right and we can have we can talk about thanksgiving we can yeah. talk about turkey day and stuff yeah there you go well chip we certainly appreciate it thank you for serving uh we look forward to the next four years uh working to, uh with you guys as part of the utw podcast uh, as our listeners continue to grow people in hernando continue to be more uh, interested than ever before in keeping hernando the thriving great town that that we all move to and we're very excited so thank you so much for sitting down with us thank you for having us and i appreciate y'all being here and doing all you do for the city thank you Matt, really did enjoy sitting down with uh, Mayor Johnson last week. I really do appreciate him sitting down to answer the questions. Uh, as he mentioned, 
or as we mentioned, that he agreed has to kind of do it quarterly. Uh, looking forward to those quarters every year. Don't wait until the week before to send the questions. Start sending the questions anytime that you want to. Uh, send them to us. We'll go, ahead, you know, we'll go ahead and write them down, keep them in a journal. And so the next time he comes in, probably if you're talking about three months around that November time frame, get him in here before the holidays. Here again, we can ask him those questions. And Matt, let them know where they can send those questions to. Well, hey, yeah, we definitely appreciate Mayor Johnson sitting down with us, uh, coming in, uh, visiting with the UTW podcast. Uh, we were definitely a huge part of the elections when it came to all the aldermen, uh, the mayoral candidates, all that stuff. We were a big part of the ring, and I think we're going to be a big part of it for years to come for sure. So we definitely appreciate it. If you enjoyed the mayor last week's interview with Tyler Gold, the head coach of the North Point Trojans, and some upcoming things, definitely find us on Facebook at UTW Podcast, on Instagram at UTW Podcast, and on Twitter at at UTW Pod, wherever you listen to our voice, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, anywhere you're listening to our podcast, give us a five star review. We definitely appreciate the five star review. We said each week, look for OB Pod. Simply stands for Olive Branch, OB Pod. Uh, they released a, a show there with the three main coaches, Lewisburg, Center Hill, and Olive Branch. If you enjoy the eastern side of DeSoto County, if that's something you want to listen to more of, OB Pod, wherever you hear our voice, you can find them as well. Again, OB Pod. Well, Derek, before we sign off, my friend, let's uh, let's talk for one second. This is our 100th episode. 100th episode. 100th episode, Derek. We really uh, – hey, man, uh, you know, you came to me with an idea. Uh, this has come together. People enjoy our show. We enjoy doing our show. What's been your favorite part? 100 episodes. What's been your favorite part about 100 episodes so far? Ooh, good question. Uh, I think the – well, uh, the uh, the nicknames. Love the nicknames from last fall that we did that we'll bring back up for the, the football mascots. nicknames. The mascot the, nicknames. The mascot uh, names. Yeah, and then I think the second would probably be getting to know all of the uh, the candidates for yep. the, uh, the the interviews for the you know aldermen and the, the mayoral candidates. Was uh, I really did enjoy meeting the different people I got to meet that right. I would not have otherwise. Yeah. One of the reasons you and I started this show, and we've said it a million times on our show, is the lack of good quality positive coverage out of Memphis and out of Jackson, Mississippi. I think my favorite part of uh, the show over the last hundred episodes has been the opportunity to meet um, young people, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunity to sit down with uh, Coach Nikki Witten and her players. And we, we did that that afternoon at Hernando High School. The kids really enjoy it. Sit down with Reed Flanagan, a uh, great gentleman, a uh, young man who's, who's got just a bright future ahead of him. But just, you know, the young people uh, getting mm-hmm. the opportunity to uh, tell them good job, pat them on the back, tell them thank you um, is, has been special to me. So, so we really appreciate our advertisers. Uh, we really appreciate our listeners as we continue to grow. Some of our shows have been, uh, you know, as far as we know, because we can't see Spotify, just a little bit behind the curtain there. Uh, but as far as we know, definitely over, you know, two and 3,000 uh, listens. Derek, congratulations on 100 episodes. And this is just our 100th episode that, that we name it. We've probably been well over 100 yeah, episodes. Yeah, we're, we're probably around 120 total. Right. We had the special episodes for all the candidate interviews. But sure. this is our 100th, you know, regular episode. Right. Exactly. So happy birthday to us. Uh, 100 uh, episodes in. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the UTW podcast. Well, Derek, if there's nothing else, I'm Matt. And I'm Derek. Join us for the next 100 episodes under the water tower. When Jesus has my heart and the whiskey's got my liver Blowing through life like a raft on a river I know what's right and I know what's wrong I know how to quit the Lord has been too long I was thinking to myself, at least I still think to myself.